Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Skyping's So today on Small Doses, we continue with our artist series, and I am very, very pleased to have our guest. I mean, I'm pleased to have every guest for various reasons, but... Let me just give some backstory before I properly introduce you. So, you know, like so many, I come across some of my greatest discoveries of artists via Target. And uh, so I I feel like Jungalo had been, like I had heard rumblings, but it wasn't until like I was at Target and I was like, oh, this is nice. And, and I was like, this feels very authentic. But then I saw your picture and I was like, if this is a white woman, I'm going to be so fucking livid. I'm, I'm going to be so mad if, if this is called Jungalo and this is a white woman who went to Bali on an Eat, Pray, Love and has made an entire business out of it. And so then I had to go on a journey because I was like, but I also really like it. Which is, you know, the struggle. It's like everyone struggle with anthropology. You're like, I really like it, but also, nah. So I'm very happy to report that that is not the case. And, <laughs> and thus, I would like to welcome Justina Blakeney to the show. Uh, Justina that was, is... <laughs> oh, such a good intro. Oh my God, that was hilarious. I love you. I You're was so really funny. like, I just stood there very upset, like, because I think the reason why I was most upset was like, because it's so good. If this is some appropriation, this is a really good fucking appropriation. I'm, I'm mad as hell. Um, but it's not. And actually, Justina looks a lot like my family members uh, on one side of my family in Mung Morris in Grenada. And... You know, I am now obsessed with you. Um, after connecting with you on Instagram, I dressed in full bohemian wear for at least <laughs> 10 days. Um, it is chronicled on my Instagram. People were like, you look really comfortable you look <laughs> and whimsical. I'm like, that's, yeah, mm-hmm. that's because I've been in this woman's world. Uh, and for those who listen a lot, I don't fangirl. This, like, it's like you... Janet Jackson. Oh, stop it. <laughs> it's like a short list, sis. Short. Uh, well. But I think part of the reason is you have done something I dreamed to do, and you've done it so thoroughly and so beautifully and so accessibly, and that's create a line that is very colorful and that seems very authentically you and that has ethnicity like woven and, and cultural context woven into every thread of it, and it has existed across so many different like mediums, whether it's Pottery Barn Kids or Target or your own site, et cetera, and like, it is my dream in life to have a home line. Like before I die. Okay. So like that's like, you know, when I'm done dealing with sets and and actors and whatnot, it's like, can I just design pillows? Let's just let's just design pillows. (laughs) Because that's like my dream. But um 
So, Justina, just where do we start? Well, first of all, can you please tell us where you're from and how being where you're from has informed your work? I know the answer to this because I've read. Um, But for those who are listening, can you please give us some background? Because Justina is not just an interior decorator. You're a visual artist. You're, I mean, how would you, how would you define your art? If at all? Um, Yeah, I, I, I call myself an artist and a designer, but I think my art primarily expresses itself in terms of surface pattern and print. So I design usually with watercolors, wallpapers and bedding and, um, Pretty much anything that has a surface, I'll put some colors and patterns up on it. Nice. (laughs) I get a lot of joy out of that. But I also just love design in general. And and I love studying design and just learning more about design through different cultures, through traveling. My own background is very multi-culty. So I think I just grew up in such a mixture of so many different cultural influences that that's an inherent kind of part of who I am and how I express myself creatively. I feel like when I used to hear about like bohemian, I feel like I used to consider that to be very like, like white girls at Berkeley. Like that's what. <laughs> well, I am from, I am from Berkeley. <laughs> so I, I do have that, uh, that background going for me as far as the kind of hippie roots. But it's right. funny if you ask my parents, if they were hippies, they say, no, we're too old to be hippies. We were revolutionaries. So I- they were. They were in Berkeley in the 60s. I was born in Berkeley in the 70s. And yeah, I think for a long time, you know, the the word bohemianism or or bohemian has a very sordid history. It has a history of appropriation with uh, Romani or gypsy culture. I think in general, there is a history of, you know, colonialism and sort of offbeat kind of white folks, artists, types. Yes. Kind of grabbing things from different cultures, especially, like I said, Romani or gypsy culture and Indian culture and kind of infusing it in this sort of alternative artistic, creative lifestyle. And so that's sort of where the root of the word comes from. And it has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with Bohemia, which is like an actual place <laughs> in Europe. So like many things like the term Indian for Native Americans, there's just a lot of weirdness with, with the word Bohemian. But the way that I think I use it today, and, and that's why sort of my first home decor book was called The New Bohemians, because I wanted to express sort of what the word means to me today. And it's really about sort of living a creative life and expressing yourself creatively in your home and not just thinking about your home as a place to live, but home as a, as an art project, as a place to kind of express your creativity, a place that can support your desires, your dreams, your family, and not just about, you know, grabbing things from different cultures and putting them in your house. So I just bought a house. Congratulations. Thank you. And it really has been a different experience. I mean, I feel like I've always been very much like, I'm just going to do whatever I want in this house and make it feel good. But in this process, I feel like I have approached it in, in how you're speaking about it. And I'm not even joking, but like finding your pieces has helped to be a part of my expressiveness in creating a home that feels like, oh, this is my, like, this is my art studio. This is your wallpaper. 
And I was telling her before we came on that I was afraid of wallpaper because it just feels so permanent. And also it just feels like, is it going to be too busy? Is it going to be too busy? And then I found the busiest shit possible, right? (laughs) You went for it, which I love. I went for it. And, And I feel like a lot of folks in our homes, we also like kind of like play it safe and we don't look at, like you said, like we don't look at the home as our canvas. It's the way we look at our bodies. Like I feel like with clothes, I had like a style breakthrough when I had a stylist tell me like, if you would treat yourself the way you treat your canvas, your whole style would change. Like you're dressing based on like the weather. And she was like, I mean, it's not to say that doesn't matter, but she was like, if you considered color when you're getting dressed in a way that you do on a canvas, you would have so much more fun getting dressed. And I was like, you're right. And I really like, like that changed my whole philosophy on shopping. And so when I'm reading your book, Jungalo, decorate wild, you see, I just had it at the ready, right? Thank you. (laughs) Um, Here's the thing, you know, you get coffee table books, you leaf through them and you're like, okay, I did that. It's done. And now it's going to be a pretty book that sits here. And then if, if ever someone comes by the house, maybe they will look at it while they go to the bathroom. Um, but I like actually have read your coffee table book. Oh <laughs> like I've actually read it. And it's because I haven't really seen my own creative style expressed in this way. And so I've never seen it before. Like, you, like you put up, like you literally like opened up a portal in my own self. That's just like your shit. And I think that's why I have this, like I'm making you uncomfortable. If I, if I am making you, I apologize, <laughs> but this is why I have this like weird attachment to you. It's because I literally am looking at your art. Like, did this come from me? Like, this is weird. <laughs> like, this is very, this feels very personal to me. Um, mm. And so what I love about what you do, though, is that all of your spaces that I see in these different photos, they manage to be like wild and also grounded at the same time. And how does that process work for you when you come into a room? Because... I think a lot of us, like we come into a room and we think, okay, well, the couch has to go here and a TV has to go here. And then it's like, whatever what else, else lands there. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, I guess a lamp. I guess we need a lamp here. <laughs> but it feels like you have a different process. So I would love to hear just like when you walk into a space, how that happens. Yeah. So I really try and approach design from an emotional standpoint. And I think this comes from the fact that both of my parents are psychologists. So I'm really used to thinking about the way things make people feel. And so when I approach a design project, that's really the jumping off place. It's about the feeling and about Mm. the activities that you want that place to support. So I think those two things are the most important things, because if you want a space where you can really relax and you can chill out and watch TV, or if you want a place that feels romantic, or if you want a place that supports your working environment or healthy work habits, or if you want a place to work out or whatever it is, thinking about the activities that you want to do in that space and how your space can support that. So for example, I'll look around and and sort of take stock of the natural light in the room. And thinking about light is so important when thinking about color, you know? And so- Mm coming back into the space multiple times throughout the day. What does the space look like at the evening? Where is the light coming in? Thinking about all that. And then really, I think where I start is color. 
because color is just such an important part of design and everything has a color. So you can't choose a sofa without choosing the color of a sofa. You can't choose a rug without choosing the color of a rug, walls, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, it's really about the emotion, deciding what kinds of emotions I want the space to facilitate, how I want to feel in that space. And then I go to color and then I just start layering. And then for me, it really is about starting with the outermost layer. So oftentimes that's rugs and paint and then kind of working my way in the larger pieces of furniture and then the accessories. And then I just go crazy with plants, <laughs> right? <laughs> with pillows, with textiles, with art. And I just keep layering it until it feels done for that day. <laughs> for that day. Because every day that my man comes home, I'm like, did you see what I added? <laughs> like, he's playing. Well, I'm the opposite. I try and hide the changes from my man. I'm like, there's nothing to see here. No changes. I'm like, look, there's a drum. <laughs> we added a drum. He's like, oh, okay. All right. You know, I mean, it's, um, I will tell you that the light is so important for me because I lived in a duplex in Harlem for 12 years that had no light. It's rough. And any New Yorker that's listening is like, yeah, yeah, but you had a duplex. Because that's the thought process. <laughs> They're like, I mean, you, you can't have everything, right? You had a duplex. You weren't going to get a duplex and light. If that's Fair. what you wanted, you should have lived on the fifth floor walk-up. And then the conversation would be, I lived in a fifth floor walk-up, but I had light. And, the com- and, the, and then people would be like, quit complaining. You had light. So what? It was five floors. And so when I moved to L.A., it was imperative that I have a pool and that I have light. Like wherever I was living. So I lived in an apartment. I, and I remember I had, an, I had a manager who was like, why do you need a pool? And I was like, I mean, it's not necessarily like a need, but I... No, it's, it is. It's a need. <laughs> I was like, I'm also a cancer. And I don't... Like some of y'all, like, you know, a pool is like, oh, I need to swim. I just need to be submerged in water. Like water. during yes. the pandemic, I bought a kiddie pool and I would just sit in my mom's backyard in the kiddie pool for hours. And I, I mean, she's it. not weirded out by that by now, but like some people were like, Hey, you're just like sitting in a kiddie pool. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, cause I'm in water yes. and this yes. makes me feel good. But the light. So when we got this house, I had a panic attack because I felt like I had overestimated the amount of light. Hmm. And then I was like, has enough light and then i was like my god i need to get skylights skylights yep but then I, but everyone's like oh you know skylights are scary because they leak mm. and i just like started panicking justina and then and this is what i wanted to say for folks like you know you find yourself in a space and sometimes it can just feel like well it is what it is but then I've been working on opening my mind, and this is what your book has been helping me do, opening my mind to see things that I wouldn't have seen before mm-hmm. in in abstract and in, like, actual, like, practical ways. For instance, like, I, there was an awning along the side of the house. I didn't even know that you could remove the awning. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that'll help a lot with the light. I had no idea that you could remove an awning. <laughs> and no clue. And then I was, like, driving, and I saw that someone's awning was, like, on the floor, or, like, in front of their garage. And I was like, oh, my God. That looks like we have. And then I came back and I asked the contractor, I was like, can we remove this awning? And he was like, yeah, it's like a hundred bucks. What? And immediately light flooded in Mm. to the house. And then we had like these floors that were brown. 
And it was like in 89, this was the hot shit. But now it feels like I'm walking on Dookie. <laughs> Just like different stones of Dookie. So what are we going to do? And I was very fortunate to be able to afford to change it to like white Calcutta porcelain tiles. Mm, and pretty. it changed the whole house because now when you walk in, it reflects the light. I just say that because you started with light and I I was preparing myself to be depressed because I had bought a house without the light that I thought I needed. I don't know much about interior design other than just like, oh, I like this. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's already that's already a huge part of it. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> a lot of people don't even have that. I mean, I have so many folks who come to me saying like, oh, well... You know, I don't know what I like, so I don't know where to begin. And that's a much more difficult place to start. <laughs> so when you work with clients, like, do they come and say like, okay, do the whole house? Is it like, just do a room? Like, and what as an interior designer, do you, how do you meld your style with like what their wants are? Cause that to me seems very hard. It is hard. And actually it's, it's because of that, that I actually haven't taken on residential clients in many years. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. I'm not a huge fan of the stylistic negotiations that go on. I kind of mm. am like, I know what I like and I want you to like it too. And if you don't like it, I don't want I to still want you. So I actually found that side of interior design very difficult because I like what I like and I don't like bending what I like uh, to what other people like. That having been said, in in all the different spaces that I've sort of been a part of creating over the years for myself or my brand or other brands or, or other folks in general, it is, again, I start with the emotional thing. I think that's just so important. And then if people don't know what they like, I think it's just there are so many tools right now. Like for example, when I was first really starting to hone in on what my style was, I remember, you know, looking at my Pinterest board, this is maybe like 10 or 12 years ago and just kind of zooming out on the board and just trying to find what the common thread was between all the different places that I was gravitating towards, what I was pinning, what I was double tapping or whatever. And it was, just all of a sudden extremely apparent to me that all these places that I had collected that uh, that were inspiring me, they were all colorful, they all had lots of pattern, and they all had lots of plants. And so it was just really easy for me to say at that point, like, oh, cool, that's what I like, that's my style, and then build on that. So doing those kind of little exercises to kind of tap in on what it is that you like, and then always looking for the why. Huh, I like this, Why? Now, you mentioned something earlier and you were like, you know, it's more than just getting a bunch of stuff from different cultures and putting it in a room. Yeah. Where's the line with like, I like these different things in different cultures, so they're in this room. And, oh, I just bought some stuff and put it in a room. Like, what's the difference? (laughs) Great question. So I thought about this a lot when I was writing Jungle-O because... I went to UCLA and I studied world arts and cultures. And so I got a lot of sort of theoretical knowledge and and learnings about sort of what is cultural appropriation Mm. and what is, um, what is it to go into somebody else's culture and sort of take or even buy and bring it into your home. So 
So where, where are those lines? And, and, you know, I definitely don't have all the answers to that. And I think every artist that you talk to will have a different take on it. But what I did in Jungle in the book, as I was sort of uncovering some of these different cultures that I find really inspiring. For example, I absolutely love Moroccan design. I draw a lot of inspiration from it. I'm not Moroccan, but I am Black and Jewish. And when I visited Morocco, I saw that same mix of African and Jewish reflected back at me for the first Mm. time, and I felt very connected to it. And so when I incorporate Moroccan design into my own work, I, first of all, think it's important to know who you're buying from. So it's Mm. always best to support folks from those cultures, Um, you know, and same thing if I'm buying, you know, Senegalese baskets, I buy them from the Senegalese guy at the Rose Bowl, you know, so trying to support folks who are from those cultures, I think is always first and foremost, um, very important. And then on top of that, just learning, learning about these things, learning about where they come from and not appropriating them, but inviting them into your home, spreading knowledge about those things, about the cultures, helping the folks who make these things, just doing it with respect. And I think that's really the bottom line is it's not just about, oh, this is pretty. I want it. I'm putting it up. But just just having some respect, some curiosity about where things come from, um, asking questions and being able to pass any of that knowledge forward and, and supporting folks. So for, for me, that's what it's about. And then in my design work, it's also about sort of my own take or my own perspective on things. So when I'm designing with Moroccan, let's say lighting or, or crafts from Morocco, I really try and connect it back to my experience of, of visiting and the people mm. I met there and making it be personal and not just about sort of, oh, this pretty, this I want. (laughs) (laughs) This pretty, this I want. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I have absolutely been guilty of that. I have absolutely been guilty of like, this is dope. I want this. Yes. No, absolutely. And, and, and I think, I think the, the, the bottom line is, is that, you know, we're all, you know, coming at design from a place of generosity, of curiosity, of respect. And then, you know, again, nobody's perfect, but if that's your jumping off place, I think it's hard to go wrong. So talk us through your process of how you came to, I I mean, I know that you mentioned that you had the Pinterest and you put that together, but I'm always curious about in terms of artists, like how they arrived at the space where they knew like, oh, this is my thing. So even before you got to the Pinterest, what was your process of becoming an artist? When you were a kid, were you doodled and supported in that space? Was it just like you stumbled into it? Like, because claiming I am an artist is its own personal revolution. It took work. It took a lot of work and still takes work sometimes because I still have moments of like, Oh, I'm calling myself an artist. What does that mean? (laughs) Sounds fancy and intimidating. I don't know. Um, Yeah. So it definitely took a lot of work for me to own that I'm an artist thing. Um, And I think I, yeah, I'm there, but it it definitely took time. But yeah, I was, I was always creative, always enjoyed making, really consider myself a maker and, you know, studied art and, and design for many years in college. After college, I actually went to Italy and studied fashion design and lived there for seven years. Um, Yeah. So I spent a long time in Europe and studying, you know, a lot of the kind of modern masters and just 
really digging into to the whole design universe. And when I came back to the States, um, I started working in magazines and writing and editing for art and culture magazines. And then I started my blog, which is sort of a natural extension of, of that work. And that really allowed me to just explore myself and my own creativity because every day I sort of made this commitment to just put something creative out into the world and did that for so many years until things sort of started to snowball and and my career started to take off and but what was the snowball what was the tipping point because usually everyone can mark that like well this happened and then this happened and shit changed like I know I checked Caitlyn yeah. dinner at a dinner and shit changed so <laughs> What was your checking Caitlyn Jenner moment for? Um, I think, well, in 2015, my book, The New Bohemians, came out and it became a New York Times bestseller. But how did you even get the publishing deal? You see the steps to this, Blakeney? Like, you didn't just put it out on Justina Blakeney Press. I love you. Call me out. Call me out. Uh, Yeah, it was all so gradual, though, and so little by little. So, okay, so I said I lived in Italy. I lived in Italy and I went to fashion school there. And when I was in fashion school, my sister, Faith, who's also a designer, was there with me. And we had this idea to come up with a manual about how to cut your t-shirts. And that manual was published and it ended up, you know, at Urban Outfitters and all the different kinds of stores. And so that was actually the first book that I came out with. And I was in my early twenties, that was, you know, 20 years ago. And I learned about literary agents and how to get a book published. And and so I learned all that. And so once I segued into, you know, working with magazines and starting my own blog, I sort of already had a literary agent, already kind of knew that world. And I actually told my literary agent, I want to come out with a home decor book. And she laughed at me and I changed agents. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yep. And, um, and then that agent said, great, you can do a home decor book. You just have to build an audience for it first. And then I was like, that's okay, what cool. my editor said when I was like, <laughs> I want to do a book of black rom-com short stories. And she was like, fine, just build an audience. And so I'm in process. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that building audience thing took, took a few, quite a few years, but, right. um, and I'm still building, but, but here we are. So, so yeah, I think. You know, every, it, it's it's just the day in, the day out, put the work in kind of thing. And and I've had a lot of moments where I'm like, oh, this is it. This is my big moment. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, but, but, but what's that over there? Oh, I yeah. guess that's another big moment. Yeah. I mean, because Jungalo, when, when did Jungalo form as an entity of like, this is the thing? Because there was, there's you, Justina Blakeney, yes. who's creating things. Yes. But then yes. Jungalo becomes the umbrella. It, yeah. So Jungalo started out as my blog. And I decided to kind of turn it into a brand when I saw I could make some coins if I turned it into a brand, (laughs) Uh, you know, so I was just, I was seeing sort of the trajectory of how everything was sort of moving off platform onto, you know, social channels like Instagram and Twitter and um, the sort of decentralization of, of the blogger universe. And I thought, you know, I think it's time to start an e-com. There's no one really doing what I'm doing in the way that I'm trying to do it. And I think I have a niche here. So we launched our e-com in 2017 and that's proven to be, you know, a really smart move. <laughs> I mean, um, I can easily say there's at least one item from your e-com in every room of my house. Oh my God. I'm going to cry. Thank you. <laughs> I'm talking bathrooms, like every room in the house, there's something. 
Um, All right, I want everyone in the country to be able to say that in five years. <laughs> well, you know what I think, you know, is dope about your e-commerce site is that you manage to very seamlessly blend like the stuff that is created by you, but that also items that are not created by you, but that expand the voice of your work, right? And that support mm-hmm. it. And so, you know, in terms of Cause, because I've been decorating the home and like, you know, trying to get settled, like I've been finding more sites than ever about like, in, you know, design in different places. And you can tell when you go to a site where it's just like, this is our, my site and this is where we sell stuff for the home. And I, we source items from different places. And I'm just like, I can't buy this from you. I, I can't, I can't, I can't, Hannah. And even though you may have had the best of intentions, which is why I said Hannah and not a Becky, I just, I can't buy this from you because you probably marked this up so many times than when you purchased it from the indigenous Mayan woman (laughs) by the side of the road that Mm. you bought it from. And Mm. I really like, I didn't know about that. Like, I didn't know that that was a thing that people were doing as well. So like that was, I mean, it's, I guess it's obvious now, but like, as I was finding myself trying to be supportive of different cultures and spaces in the home, I was like, oh, you have to be, that's just to say, you have to be careful with your, who you're buying from and mm-hmm. like where they have sourced it from, et cetera. The name Jungalo, where were you when that hit you? So my very first apartment that I lived in when I moved back to California after Europe and living in New York for a few years was the first time I'd lived by myself. And I had botanical wallpaper up in my living room and a million plants and things I'd found on the street and (laughs) painted and reimagined. And it was funky and tiny and very jungalicious. And, um, me and some of my girlfriends were all sitting on my thrifted sofa drinking wine. And, and one of them was like, you know, it's so cool in, in LA, how they have all these little bungalows. Um, you know, cause it was in one of those, they call it a bungalow court where there's all these little tiny bungalows that are attached to each other surrounding a central courtyard. And I was like, I know these bungalows are everything. And she was like, yeah. And this one's like a jungle. It's like a jungle bungalow. And I was like, yes, it's a jungle. <laughs> and it just hit me. Um, and it hit me hard. And I was like, I just loved saying the word jungle. I loved how it kind of bounced in my mouth. I love languages and stuff like that. So I, I knew it was a fun word. And um, so I just ran with it. I just ran with it. Well, you ran all the way to all different <laughs> big ass places. I mean, <laughs> One day, if you're ever in LA and have time, I just want to learn how the process goes of like even getting these deals with these behemoth companies that I feel like aren't necessarily, I I don't think Pottery Barn and think Jungalo. Like I think Pottery (laughs) Barn and I think like the white ladies I play tennis with. Like that, you know, like it's like the color palette is white, eggshell, (laughs) <laughs> eggshell yes. light you and know pearl. Like, and pearl yes. and so you know I feel like you've managed to bring your uniqueness into these spaces that otherwise seem very kind of bland and 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 just you know kind of blase and when I saw the stuff at Target 
I was like, you know, this is just super dope because I haven't seen anything like this anywhere else. But art and commerce can oftentimes be such a clash. So how does it work when you're working with these big ass companies? How does it work in terms of like meeting their needs and yours? Great question. First of all, I feel like I'm really careful about the partners that I pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so picking the partners is is key and, and having an understanding from the outset is also key. And I'm a little bit, I don't want to say I'm a control freak because I'm not, Why? but I do, I do like, <laughs> I like that the things I create come from my hand and my heart. Mm. That's a really important thing to me. So I'm not going to be the one who does what in the industry is called like a name slap, which a lot of folks do where it's like, okay, I'm doing a partnership with X or Y, but really they're kind of doing most of the work and I'm just sort of lending my name to it and helping to promote it. So like at Target, if you go into Target and you see the patterns and the prints and the art and all that on the stuff, that's my hand. That's me actually executing on all the work. And I think that's one of the things that A, sets me apart as a designer is that I'm sort of coming at it as an artist. And second, I think because my style is so different, I have been able to carve out a space for myself and set myself apart from the other folks who do tend towards more minimal, more all white, um, and interpret that last part, how you will, (laughs) uh, types of, uh, spaces. So how do you find time? Because business is so hard. And like, I feel like when you are in commerce at the level that you're at, like there's so many moving parts and yet you still find time to create. And I've just been in scenarios where like the business of things has like sucked the creativity Mm -hmm. out of me. Have you ever been in that? Has that ever been a part of the process? It has. And I just, I have to here just give props to my team because I have an amazing team, a small team of nine women. Yes, here they tell in you Los that Angeles. when you email. They're like, we're a small team of nine women, yes. but we are mighty and we will respond to your customer service request very soon. Yes, and it's true. <laughs> they do. will. Yes. Um, yeah. So, you know, my team understands that a lot of the magic of what we're creating is the authenticity behind it. And so having them to support the commerce side, the business side, I mean, I, I couldn't do it without them, obviously, but I think they help me to prioritize creativity over some of, of the other uh, things that I could potentially be focusing on in the business. I also am sort of maybe a unique business owner in so far and that money is not my North star. So I just turn down shit that takes me away from what I actually want to be doing, even if it is sometimes hard, if someone's flashing a lot of coins in front of me, but I just really try and say, you know what, there are certain things that are more important to me and one of those things is being able to live a creative life. Was it always that way? Because I feel like I, at a certain point, like I had achieved a certain level of success where I could, where money didn't have to feel like the North Star and it was very liberating. Yes, of course. You know, there were times where I was more strapped and then I would take on more work that wasn't necessarily like my dream jobs. Um, I definitely hustled a lot to get to where I am today and took on a lot of jobs that I didn't necessarily love. But alongside that, I've always done work that I knew wasn't sort of 
a financial move. As so, a ba- like consciously as a balance? Consciously. Like, and I still do that. I'm like to my team, this isn't a money play, but we're doing this and that. This is a money play, you know, and kind of focusing in on what do you need to support the business and support, you know, the financial side of things? And what do you need to support the soul? What do you need to support the creativity? What do you need to support the community? So there's just a lot of things I think about when I take things on and always have. So even for example, when I started my blog in 2009, it was probably five years before I did my first sponsored post. So that was blogging every single day for five years before making a dime, you know, and it's just, you know, you have to have the hustle inside you a little bit. And I definitely do. <laughs> the Bay, the home of Pimpin' and Panthers. Okay. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, one more question. I mean, like I, I had mentioned how like there's these times when you're doing business as, as an artist where sometimes it can like, it can become conflicting. Did you ever at any point feel like, I don't know if I still want to do this as business. Like maybe I, like I, for instance, like when I was in the music business, it reached a point where I was like, I don't want to keep doing this because it's making me not like music. And so I pivoted and I was like, I need to find another space. And I I did go through that with television and film. And then I kind of got sent, I got like, what's what I'm looking for? I got still. And then realized like, no, 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 you still love TV and film. You need to change how you're doing business. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that you can change the business, but you can change how you're doing business. And to your point, I have made like a mandate that I will not do things just for money. Now, sometimes money is a part of it, you know, but I still need to like it and I still need to Mm -hmm. care. But there's been times where you're just like, I mean, I don't don't really care about this, but you know, it's it's just for money. And every time... I pay for it (laughs) every time I may not pay for it with money, but I pay for it with my like just frustration or annoyance. Mm -hmm. Like I won't even allow myself to go places anymore where I'm just like, I'm not going to like the majority of the people here. If I don't like at least 70% of the people in the room, I'm not going. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a high bar. I'm going to take that on. I like that bar. I'm dead ass. yo. And people be like, Oh, I didn't see Amanda Seals at this such and such. Exactly. That 30%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it yes. was 31% and more. And I couldn't do it. I won't. <laughs> I won't. Yes. So was there any time where you felt like you had to decide, like, I'm going to keep going and I, or, or has it always felt like this is it? I think my career has just changed and evolved so much over the last 10 years and will continue to change and evolve. And it sort of pivots based on my interests or where the market's going or a different opportunities that I see or, or spaces that, you know, we, we find. So I think, yeah, I've definitely been at moments where I've been disillusioned with the industry. You know, I started working in fashion and just hated it. What'd you, uh, what'd I, you not like about it? It just felt like a very superficial industry. Mm. And so I would go to the trade shows and all this. And it was just, I just felt like a fish out of water. It didn't feel right. And so, you know, I'm pretty much doing very similar stuff to what I was doing when I was doing fashion, designing print and pattern and implementing my creativity through textiles. And, you know, there's a lot of parallels, but the home world is, is a little bit more warm and fuzzy, (laughs) not as cutthroat as the fashion world. And even the fashion industry has changed a lot over the past 10, 15 years, but still I just, yeah, I, I definitely, I follow my heart. And so if I see, if I see if there's something that's sort of not making me feel good, I, try and pinpoint the why. And then I, you know, pivot to something that just 
does. I really do feel like when you said that your parents were both, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, Mm -hmm. psychologists. um, Yeah. I feel like that really, you know, you said it kind of jokingly, but it, it really does resonate because so much of surviving being an artist in commerce is like being in touch with your emotions and because Mm -hmm. the art is coming from that place. And I feel like I know a lot of folks who will align themselves with the struggle and they're like, Mm -hmm. you know, if if I'm not struggling, then I'm not really doing this art thing. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, you're just, it's just that that emotion feels strong to you Mm -hmm. and that's what's driving you. But also joy can feel yes. strong too, but you're, yes. but like that doesn't feel aligned with commerce to you yet. And it's because you haven't aligned the two, you know, and like mm-hmm. so much of, I feel like how the artists I know that are really living in like liberation in their work as artists, I feel like mm-hmm. it's once they started doing a lot of self-work and mm-hmm. that like grounded them in a way where, because art is so personal. Art is so personal. And once you're bringing something that personal to business, it can feel very willy nilly. Like we talked Mm -hmm. to Amy Sherald, who is, you know, the portrait artist for Michelle Obama. And she was just talking about how, you know, for her, she was like the same thing where she was like, I just can't like at this point, just do stuff just for bread. Like I have to Mm -hmm. feel it in my bones and like Mm -hmm. feel good about it. And it's when you get to that point, y'all, it is like, oh my God. (laughs) And then you wonder, you think like, oh my God, what if I go broke again? But you're like, now that I've gotten here, like I'm going to do what needs to be done to stay in this space. Like I need to Mm -hmm. cultivate this space. And so with that, we have a segment called The Script where we give our audience, you know, some supplementary materials to support the conversation. We've been talking about Jungalo. We've been talking about you as an artist. We've been talking about just the the interior decorating space. So if there's any books or blogs or movies, et cetera, et cetera, that you can suggest for our listeners to check out to better dive in to what we've been talking about, please. Yes. Well, all right. So- Obviously, I've got more than 10 years of blogging under my belt. So going to my blog is a great place to start, which you can find at blog.jungalo.com and sort of just read through how, I mean, you can actually see the trajectory of my entire career by by reading the blog. Um, You know, that's a book, right? You know, you could literally just make a Control book of the blog P. posts. <laughs> Control P and done. <laughs> got another one for you. Yeah, there we go. I love it. Um, and of course, I have you know quite a few books out. Um, the New Bohemians. There's a there's two. There's the New Bohemians and the New Bohemians Handbook. Those are really hands on for sort of digging into creating a home and lots of tips and tricks and interviews with other creative folks and things like that. And then my newest book, which just came out in April, is Jungle Decorate Wild, which we've been talking a bit about here. Then of course you can find us on you know all the. IG, my own personal one at Justina Blakeney and the Jungalo as well. But if you're also interested in sort of zooming out a little bit and learning more about the types of things that sort of make me tick or how I think about design um, and learning more about plants, there are so many amazing folks online. I love Hilton Carter. He's a dear friend of mine. He's a really talented plant stylist and he will just drop all the plant knowledge on you. So follow Hilton. He also just had a Target plant capsule collection that came out. 
one of my best friends is, is DeBito and he's at DeBito on Instagram. He is sort of a color genius in my opinion, and just really creates the most inspiring spaces and also just announced he's working on a new book as well. Um, How do you spell DeBito? D like dad, A, B as in boy, I, T, O. Got it. But yeah, there are so many incredibly talented artists and designers in the space. And I think it's really just about sort of digging in and, and, and seeing what lights you up and seeing what connects with you and then going from there. Well, we have a segment that I have been so fortunate to talk to you artists about your pieces. And I have some of your pieces here. I'm scared. And (laughs) I would love for you to walk us through in this edition of the artist series. I need to come up with a name for this, like a stroll with the artist or something like that. Ooh, like, um, it's an art walk through your work. Oh so, my gosh. I'm so scared. So this is just, this is a piece. I don't know the names of the pieces. I probably don't either. <laughs> but what oh, I, I love about, that one. I love this piece because like any way it goes, mm-hmm. um, and I also have the book. I have the uh, the vases that are similar. Yes, yes. To this. Ugh. So can mm. you talk to us about this piece, the medium, how big it originally was, what it mm-hmm. means, what it's about, all those good things? Yeah, most of my paintings are originally pretty small. That one was on, I think, an 11 by 11 or a 12 by 12 piece of paper. It's gouache, which is also one of my favorite media um, which is kind of like watercolor, but watercolor tends to be a little bit more transparent and gouache just goes on thick. Mm. So I really like gouache and, um, but you can kind of, you can spread it really nicely. It's, yeah. it's fun. It's almost like, yeah, you, the, the way it mixes with the colors is really fun. Also, my favorite thing about this is that it kind of can rotate in all the different ways and mean different things depending on the way it hangs. So, so that's a really fun thing about this piece. And for me, a lot of my pieces play with ideas of identity, ideas of, I think, challenging concepts of beauty. I do a lot of abstractions with shapes and playing with proportions of things. And um, there's a chapter in my book, uh, in the Jungle book, it's called Wild Imagination. And it's about looking at everything as material. And so oftentimes when I'm thinking about art or thinking about walls or thinking about space, I want people to be able to personalize things in their home. So the way that that piece can kind of rotate and and you can look at it how you want to look at it, and it can mean what you want it to mean. Um, I really like that aspect of it in the home. Now, this is another piece. Mm. This is a piece that I literally was like, did I paint this? Uh, <laughs> I have a similar work in my book, Small Doses, where it's, just, you know, it's a bunch of, of faces, but... What I love about this piece is that there's like no negative space. I love that you used up every inch. I, if I could, you would not see any wall, any white on my walls. But my man is like, please, please, please. I'm the same way. I don't want any white walls. I'm at like, all. can we cover? Can I? Can I? And he's like, I need 
I'm, I'm with a minimalist. It's a lot of compromising that happens in here. Um, I get it. I get it. So tell me, talk to me about this piece. Is this gouache as well? So this is, this is watercolor. Um, okay. and this piece is called in chorus mm. and it's about coming together. And it's about sort of what you can do when many voices come together and especially women's voices. And that's what this piece is about. And it's a really special piece to me also because we've sold the piece for years and given donations of the proceeds of this piece to various charities. But when we first launched it, we we were able to raise $20,000 for um, women's shelter downtown LA. So um, this piece is really special to me for that reason. And when was this piece around, like circa? Um, Gosh, maybe 2017, 2018, around there. And when you paint, do you typically finish in one setting or do you go step and come back? Like, how does that work? I tend to try and finish things in one sitting because I feel like when I come back, my colors often look different. (laughs) Mm. Is that just the Um, medium or is that just like in terms of how you view it looks, feels different? Uh, I don't know. It just does. (laughs) I think it might be the medium. Um, but I think it also might be my mood. Um, I, you know, when you're in a flow state and then you leave it for me, it's a little hard to come back. Although that's actually one of my, um, one of the things I'm working on right now. So I also recently bought a new home and recently moved. Thank you. And, um, in this new house, I have an art studio. And so up until now I've been painting on my kitchen table, which is why it's small format. And also why it's often gouache or watercolor or things that don't need a a lot of space on paper. So one of my big goals and one of my intentions for the new home is to be able to move into doing larger format and working more in oils where I can kind of leave and come back and, and continue working on a piece. Well, you brave for the oils. Cause I, I, I mean, I, I haven't started yet, so don't call me brave yet. <laughs> I mean, I will say this, they have like open acrylics, which kind of give you like more of a time frame of oils, but also give you the, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of just the same. Cause oils is also about like how the oils move. They get muddy. You know, you're dealing with oil versus water. Like I mm-hmm. like the cleanupness of acrylics. Like I like yes. the quickness. And so they have like open acrylics now that give you like the mm. openness of oils, but still allow you to just have like quick cleanup that also Mm. allow you to not get to not, uh, things don't get muddy as easily just by nature Mm -hmm. of the medium. So that's something to look into as well. Okay. I didn't know about that. Love it. So last but not least, you do nature art. And I remember when when I saw it on yours, I was like, nature art? What do you mean nature art? (laughs) This is what she means. So I saw you have a new one that you had put on your Instagram page with a black background. Yes. And, uh, but this is an older one I saw and I like that you used like sunglasses and so it's like mixed media. Um, yeah. So can you tell us about this? These are flower petals. Yes. The, yep. They're all flower petals and sticks. And then of course this one has sunglasses, but for the most part, I only use sort of foraged uh, oh, this nature. Is yeah, it's I like twigs. Mark, marker. Okay. No, it's no marker at all. It's twigs and sticks and petals and leaves. And I first started, I call this an open creative project because I started doing it on Instagram way back in the day, maybe in like 2013 or 2014 and, um, and opened it up and just encouraged people all over the world to start making these 
portraits out of leaves and flowers, I call it face the foliage. So it's actually pretty amazing. If you go into the face the foliage hashtag, you can see folks at schools and camps with kids or special needs folks and people from all over the world are making these portraits now. And it's an extremely fun, free project Mm. that folks of all ages can do with virtually no supplies. All all you really need is to go outside and forage some petals or sticks or leaves and a piece of paper of any color to kind of create these collaged portraits. And it's a very cathartic exercise. I love um, artwork that bridges my two most deep loves, which is nature and plants and creativity and art. So it's a really beautiful sort of extension of myself and of the Jungalo brand. Well, I mean, thank you for walking us through. I know sometimes artists are like, wait, I don't know if I even know my art. You know, it's like rappers forgetting their lyrics. But I do feel like it is, it's like a tactile thing, you know, when we can really just connect to you through like the actual work. And, you know, so often as artists, we do stuff and then we do it and we're done and we move on. And so it can sometimes feel just like nice to come back and look at the stuff we've done and also remind ourselves how far we've come. Um, You know, even in you mentioning that, you know, that piece doesn't just mean a lot to you because of its message, but because of what it was able to do for other people, you know? And I think that's a through line that I got from not only what you were talking about before, but then even talking about these individual pieces is that so much of your art is not just about like how this looks. It's about not only how it feels, but how it extends to others and how it like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, uh, I'm so big on art and community and it does that. Mm-hmm. Oh, in some ways you so much you know in some ways it's because it got money for these people and in some ways you know like with face the foliage it's because it can bring peace to people you know and mm. that's that's the goal I really there's a lot of conversation going on lately around art whether it repla- in regards to fashion in regards to design in regards to comedy etc and on like what's the purpose of this and ultimately I'm like if it's not elevating us I don't mm-hmm. want it <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. want it the last dose. But I want all things Jungalo. And, <laughs> and I'm just such a fan of your work. And I'm so glad we got Likewise. to meet on the Zoom. Oh my gosh. And I, I am can't such wait for a fan. You guys, I screamed when I got your DM because I am just the, I am such a big fan. You bring so much joy and so much realness to my feed. And Yay. I just, I absolutely adore you. Um, so anytime let's meet up for a coffee. Uh, let's talk about your pillow line. Let's talk about all the things. <laughs> we still my beating heart. Uh, my mother would be like, you get me that pillow line. <laughs> keep, just keep decorating. Keep showing us how to live our best lives in our homes. Mm-hmm. And remember guys, whether you live in a bungalow or a mansion, a little bit of paint and a plant can change everything. (laughs) Yes. From your mouth to God's ears. It is true. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Justina. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a treat and an honor. And I just loved every minute of it. Yeah. A podcast network.